Welcome everybody to the fifth episode of the Metabilis 2 podcast. Welcome, welcome. How are you doing this evening, Ben? I'm good, actually. I've been out for a couple of drinks, so I'm feeling ready, ready to cast my pod upon the waters. <laughs> so, good deal. <laughs> good deal. Um, yeah. So, I hear, I, I hear we have a listener. Yes, we do have one listener. Nice one. And the, the message was, I don't know why you named your podcast something we don't understand. <laughs> and is, is, is that the only comment? That, well, that, is the, that is the one comment. Wow. Wow. That's, that's so internet, isn't it? Like, yes. <laughs> um, did you like what we had to say? I don't care what you had to say. All I care is that I didn't understand what your title was. <laughs> so, should we... The Metabilis 2. Why Why the Metabilis 2? Why the Metabilis 2? Because we, cause, cause we love John Pertwee and we love the planet Metabilis 3, yet there are only two of us, so the Metabilis 2 makes sense. Well, the Metabilis 2 could be on Metabilis 3 because it is, Ben and myself, the Metabilis 2. That's true, that's true. And if we, if we think of like a star, a solar system, well, it wouldn't be a solar system, mm-hmm. it would be a Metabilis system. If we think mm-hmm. of the, the system of planets... That sort of that circles the star Metabilis. Mm-hmm. There's probably a third planet mm-hmm. in the Metabilis system, but there's definitely if there's a third planet, there's got to be a second planet. Yes. So, so by, it, by yeah, definition, by definition, it it exists exactly. And maybe the Doctor has never been it, visited Metabilis two, but it's certainly it's he's certainly been to Metabilis three, mm-hmm. the, the famous planet of the blue crystal. All right, and what stories did Metabilis three first appear in, or get mentioned in? I guess. Well, of course, the the finale, the the final, the the uh, the regeneration story of John Pertwee, the Third Doctor, is primarily set on Metabilis three, which has been taken over by a race of of giant mutated spiders, um, mm-hmm. as you do. Uh, the Queen, voiced by the widow of Roger Delgado. Oh, Roger Delgado, very, very effectively. She, I can still remember... Kismet, I think, was her Kismet Delgado, yeah. And I can still remember being a kid and being utterly frightened by those spiders and her creepy, creepy voice. As was the Third Doctor. <laughs> As was the Third Doctor. And actually, even more so, me and my friends, uh, we, we, I can remember, we actually we sat around in the maths classroom. We, we pushed all the desks to the edge of the classroom this is during break mm-hmm. and we sat around in a circle and we did the om muddy paddy hum thing <laughs> um in the vain hope that we might be able to conjure up <laughs> you some, were looking for some, some spiders. spiders we no, we actually literally were we literally thought well maybe if we do this maybe if we do this some giant spiders will appear and that would be so cool that we would just freak out so that so was that was our plan that in was 1977 not or whatever well, no 1974 whenever the hell that was that was not the planned uh, buddhism conver- conversation that <laughs> barry letts had in mind no Bar- barry letts hoped that we'd all convert to like you know tibetan buddhism but the only element of tibetan buddhism that we took was if you chant that giant spiders will appear <laughs> um, which I, I don't think is actually the, one of the main tenets of, of Tibet. But, but of course, um, the, the, the famous blue crystals of Metabilis three make their uh, make their first appearance, uh, I think, in the um, in the Green Death, right? That's absolutely, the, yeah, absolutely, where they're used to deprogram Captain Mike Yates. Mm-hmm. And well, in Episode one is where the Doctor was trying to get Joel to come along in the TARDIS with him to Metabilis. He was. 
Exactly. And, and she decided to go off to Wales to fan Fairfax. And I guess she gets, we tie in with last week, he, she gets a lift from the Brigadier and his Jag. And his, it is a Mercedes. Mercedes, Mercedes that's right. Mercedes, yeah. which should have been a Triumph stack. Exactly, yeah. 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 And... Um, while the Doctor has to spend time on, on Metabilis 3, which is, does not appear to be a pleasant planet. It was it's, quite harrowing. It looks giant claws swooping at him, screeches. That's a swooping claw. I actually, I, I having, again, because I, I actually, well, I don't watch it every day, but I mean, I watch The Green Death from time to time. That giant claw in, uh, in The Green Death is a very, very impressive claw. I don't know who made that or where that came from. It also almost seems to it reminded me of this kind of ancestor claw of the unsuccessful claw feet of the Tyrannosaurus Rex in Invasion of the Dinosaurs. And I was so thinking it was a big pro- claw. It was probably the Talon and Colony in Space or something like that. Oh, you know, I should, I should. That is a good point. Maybe I should do that comparison. Maybe that is the Talon. I mean, it's, a, it's an exceptionally good claw to use only once for about three seconds. And. Yeah, and so what the introduction music for last week was the theme or the atmospheric sound from Metabilis 3. Oh, uh, really? Well, yeah. So yeah. We, we came in last week with the Metabilis 3 atmospheric sound. So if you were closing your eyes and envisioning yourself on Metabilis 3, that is the soundscape you would be hearing. <laughs> that, that is the sound you would hear if you were on at, at that particular era, because, of course, we visit Metabilis 3 on, on two okay, at least two occasions and in different eras. So, mm-hmm. of course, when the Doctor first goes to Metabilis 3, it's this kind of hellish planet. And there's natives as well, because, of course, he gets attacked by spears. That is true. So there are natives. Um, of course, when we visit Metabilis 3, when it's become Planet of the Spiders, it has been colonized mm-hmm. by human colonists first. And then, of course, there's human colonists brought with them by mistake. Um, some spiders on their spaceship, as you do. And those spiders were, were mutated by the powers of the Great Blue Crystal. Um, and became giant uh, giant spiders, and in turn then enslaved the human colonists. And what a classic tale that is. In the modern era with Matt Smith, with Stephen Moffat's tenure, we had another name check of Metabolus Three. Metabolus Three, exactly. Which threw fandom into a... Paroxysm, yeah. Or, well, of, of indignation that why the different pronunciation of Metabolus. So Matt Smith pronounced it in an episode called Hyde Metabolus, and he brought out the famous blue crystal to help to help focus some kind of psychic power of the female lead. He did. He did. The very, very attractive female lead. I can't remember her name now. But Jessica, she is Jessica Raines, was it, I believe? Jessica Raines, of course. Uh, of course, other, other fans of British television will know as the lead character in Call the Midwife. Mm-hmm. And she played Verity Lambert in... The Adventure in Space and Time. She played the impossibly gorgeous Verity Lambert, exactly, mm-hmm. in The Adventure in Space and Time. So like, my, my question, and I, I should be able to research this pretty easily, but I haven't done. Have we visited uh, Metabolus or even Metabolus 3 uh, on other occasions uh, via the medium of Big Finish or Virgin novelizations or, or BBC novelizations, I wonder? I do not know off the top of my head, but for, certainly for the televised series, we do not visit Metabolus 3 at all again. Firing up my internet engine here. <laughs> yes, I believe that Big Finish did release a, a one of their stories with um, Sylvester McCoy called uh, The Spider's Shadow. Apparently. Oh, so tying directly into Planet of Spiders. Exactly. Um, it's the 109th release of the uh, of the Big Finish 
stories. And um, yeah, here you go. Wow. We should probably explain what Big Finish is. We should. So I believe in the Wilderness Years, and what Wilderness Years is what Doctor Who fandom calls from the end of the regular BBC transmission of Doctor Who in 1989 with the Sylvester McCoy story survival through till the RTD reboot in 2005 with Rose, The Wilderness Years. And during the wilderness years, towards, I think, 1998, 1999, Big Finish got the license from BBC to produce audio dramas for, on at the time, on CDs. And so they launched, I believe, with Peter da- Peter Davison, or was it Sylvester McCoy? It was, it was actually, it was a three doctors story. So it was McCoy, Baker, and Davison. Okay. Um, in a story Col- called Colin Baker, uh, Colin, I, I think, yeah, uh, six doctor. Uh, Colin Baker exactly called the Sirens of Time, um, okay. which was a three doctor story, and it was it was very good. I mean, I I, I bought the very first issue on on CD, and uh, yeah, it was a three doctor story. All right. A little bit later, Big Finish was able to sign Paul McGann, Paul McGann yeah. and. So Paul McGann has a rich litany of Doctor Who stories from Big Finish, really expanding upon his brief television role in, in 1996. And I think, I think without, without fear of, of being incorrect, the appearance of Paul McGann in uh, Night of the Doctor, um, the, the, the kind of anniversary segment for the 50th anniversary, was really to do with the excellence of his work at, at, at Big Finish. I mean, he really... Kind of reinvigorated and kind of made that character, made that character real as a doctor. And I think the fact that it worked so well on that uh, 10 minute segment, you know, and I think there's actually, I've read various places, there's, you know, that he would be willing to come back and record, you know, actual TV stories, including using his doctor. Whether that'll happen or not, I don't know. I really would hope it does. He is about the same age as Peter Capaldi, and he certainly looks the part. Does, yeah. I think he would make an excellent doctor, and frankly, I guess if it was me as showrunner, I would have a season or two of Paul McGann as the doctor. He is a superb actor, and of course, fans of British things in general will know that the Richard E. Grant doctor in, in, a, in Scream of the Schalke, mm-hmm. which of course immediately, which was an audio-only BBC uh, doctor, which was immediately preceded the 2005 reboot. Um, both Richard E. Grant and Paul McGann were the stars of the astounding and very much worth seeking out and watching British comedy movie With Nail and I. Yeah, he filmed that movie in 1987, I think, uh, almost a decade before he did the TV movie. Yeah, but that's, again, if anyone hasn't seen um, With Nail and I, uh, that is uh, one of the greatest movies about being English um, that you can possibly watch. I recommend it to everyone that I know. And speaking from an American perspective, it definitely is very English. And from an, <laughs> Almost incomprehensibly so. Very much so. From an American perspective, it was, just a, it was a head scratcher, sort of like, why is this being praised? What is so good about this? Is this even funny? Is this even a movie? No one really knows. Precisely. Great film. Great film. Very much worth seeking out. I think if we want to talk about Big Finish for a bit, I have, let me see, I bought, I think, the first 50... Um, big finish releases up until 2005 when the show came back on TV. And really, I had to make a financial decision because Big Finish have released so many excellent Doctor Who stories. So prolific. I would actually challenge anyone to have listened to them all. 
Certainly, you'd need a, a wage rather larger than mine to actually buy them all on CD. Mm-hmm. So I actually, I actually stopped buying them in 2005, but of course I still have the ones that I have. Mm-hmm. But one of the things that I found so exciting about those was the complete rehabilitation of Colin Baker as a doctor. It definitely made a difference in his acceptance and fandom and the perception people had of his character. Yeah, I mean, his his stories, both with Perry and also with... Um, Evelyn? Evelyn, that's it. I was going to say Evelyn... Um, I was going to say Evelyn War, but of course it was not Evelyn War. Evelyn War somewhere else completely different. <laughs> yeah, so, and Bright Heads Revisited. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They should have Evelyn War as a companion. That would be awesome. Um, it would be a celebrity historical. Celebrity historical, exactly. Um, his companion, Evelyn, who of course is... Not of course, but it was unusually was an older woman. Mm-hmm. Um, I think sort of in her 60s, uh, mm-hmm. an historian. Um, perfect, perfect companion for, for Colin Baker. And really, listening to those Big Finish Colin Baker audios, it really catapults him up into one of the very best doctors. He's a great uh, actor if you give him the right direction and the right scripts. And you don't have to look at his costume either. So His awful, awful <laughs> costume, yeah, yeah, yeah. So did Bonnie Langford ever do any Big Finish with uh, she Colin did. Baker? Uh, she did. She did Big Finish with Colin Baker. She also did Big Finish with Sylvester McCoy. And I will have to say, completely rehabilitates that character. Mm -hmm. The character of Mel is excellent in Big Finish and is well worth listening to. She's a superb actress. Again, and we're probably going to return to this over and over again in these podcasts, but I really think that the problem with late 80s Who and some of the disappointments in some of the acting and some of the stories was to do with the script editing and with the direction and with the show running, not with the actors themselves. I think a lot had to do with the Eric Sayward agenda, personally, and mm-hmm. with the showmanship or the focus that JNT wanted on spectacle and really was not a story person at all. Yeah. It was all about celebrity casting. and Yeah, yeah, and I mean, to give him his due, I suppose, you know, at that time, Bonnie Langford was celebrity casting. She was a celebrity. She was best known for musical theater and for being a Violet, Violet Elizabeth Bott in the Just William adaptations on ITV, which are, you know, kind of a juvenile lead. But her performances in Big Finish are absolutely, they're great. I mean, they're completely listenable. Mel is a fully rounded character. I'll have to say that the the only, I think, disappointment for me with the Big Finish Colin Baker episodes is that they do a little bit too much, and I think we touched on this last week as well, they do a little bit too much with Perry and Nicola Bryant and overemphasize the you know potential child abuse elements of Perry's character, which takes it a little bit too far. So that's probably where, we, where I mentioned in the previous weeks where that fandom got that idea or it was aided and assisted by Big Finish. By Big Finish, exactly, yeah. No, no. And they and I think they, they've over-egged that slight, slightly too much for my taste. But, so but with, anyway, yeah. So with watchers of New Doctor Who, or what we call 21st century Doctor Who or New Who, you're familiar with some of the voices in Big Finish because, for example, David Tennant was in Big Finish before he was the Doctor. Mm-hmm. The voice of the Daleks, um, most famously Nick Briggs, is the director executive producer right now of Big Finish and he also does the voices of the Daleks on Big Finish productions. So, And I think also Cyberman as well. I think he does yep. the Cyber voices. Uh, I think Ogrons. <laughs> Ogrons. Um, he plays, I think he plays Sherlock Holmes in the Big Finish Sherlock Holmes adaptions as well. Yep. So interesting. <laughs> Nicholas Briggs started out as a as a fan making his own fan productions. Absolutely. Um, with casting himself as the Doctor. 
mm-hmm. uh, which I think were available on cassette tape in the in the nineties. Mm-hmm. And uh, keen readers of Doctor Who magazine will will notice that during the McCann years, as uh, when Paul McGann was the Doctor in the uh, in the comic strip in Doctor Who magazine, there was an amazing uh, about face where Nick Briggs' uh, incarnation of the Doctor was a character in the comic strip in Doctor Who magazine in the mid-90s. I did not um, know that. It was, it's actually, it's well, it's well, well worth seeking out. Of course, it's on the other side of the room, otherwise I would tell you what strip it's in. It's well worth seeking out. It's a, there's, a, there's a kind of a false regeneration, well, spoiler alert, it looks like Paul McGann's Doctor is regenerated and he regenerates into Nick Briggs. Uh, and it's a complete... <laughs> it's a complete like whoa they've regenerated the doctor in the comic strip because again this is during the wilderness year so like anything went in that comic strip and i i would i would advise listeners to seek out those 90s doctor who magazine comic strips because they're very well drawn they're very well written and because they were given kind of carte blanche to just kind of mess around with the character because it wasn't on tv mm-hmm. there are some just really really unusual and, and great stories so these were the doctor who monthly scripts and who republished them? if you care to pick up the uh, the collected volume of, of Doctor Who 8, the complete 8 Doctor comic strips, volume 1, uh, published by Panini Books. Um, if you pick up Endgame, you will see an excellent story which involves the regeneration of Paul McGann into Nicholas Briggs. And I heartily recommend it. Story by Alan Barnes, I think. And art by uh, Martin Garrity, who is a very, very fine comic book artist who, who I'm, who I'm friends of, friends with on Facebook. So there you go. Did he do the uh, coloring? No, this the... this is actually when the when the strip when the strip was still in black and white, which I actually prefer. I'm a, I'm kind of a purist with comic strips, and I kind of prefer black and white. But I mean, they, they I think they were probably okay. if they'd been reprinted in the U.S., they were probably colorized. But certainly the the Panini volumes, which are which are well worth picking up, they're really deluxe volumes they've got a lot of uh, they have scripts mm-hmm. in the back and sketch drawings by um character development drawings by martin um there's some great images of nick briggs in his doctor who costume well worth picking up these volumes mm-hmm. um they're a very reasonable um 20 bucks or so so um yeah i recommend those highly excellent so speaking of other tat and we mentioned target we books did. in previous weeks and big finish audios and right now probably the best way to get big finish audios unless you like collecting actual the shiny silver disc is through mp3 downloads through right right directly from the big finish site during the mid 2000s we had something that probably both you and i wanted when we were growing up as realistic looking or at least bearing the likeness of the actors action figures absolutely (laughs) dollies (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> action dollies. And, and do, you, do, do you have any of the action figures? You're not, you're, I can't, don't know whether you're, you're, not, you're not really an action figure person, are you, David? We got my son a uh, Troughton, nice. and I think it was either a moon base or a wheel in space. Mm, I think it's a wheel in space. Simon. Yeah, I mean, we can just diverge onto action figures for a bit. The, uh, the five-inch action figures that were produced in, you know, from 2005... Up until 2014, 2015 or so, absolutely 100% some of the best action figures that have been produced for any TV show. Mm-hmm. Sadly, they have now moved into a, uh, I think a three, I think a 3.6 inch 
version, so they're more compatible with the contemporary Star Wars figures. I mean, that's now the kind of standard size. Right. I feel that's a retrograde move. Mm -hmm. um, you lose a lot of the details. Mm -hmm. Of course, you know, they're in the business to make money, so, you know, they have to you know, keep the kids interested. But I have a, I have a quite a, as my, my wife will eagerly attest, I have quite a comprehensive collection of the six inch doctor who action figures and they are brilliant and every time i look at them i feel love do you have a complete range of the doctors or yeah they, they produce an excellent 10 doctor set with uh all of the 10 doctors at that time mm -hmm. so i have that box set and then i have individual unboxed doctors as well so i have a, like kind of double doctors um, i may have a capaldi I think that was one of the final releases in the six-inch range. Did you get a Matt Smith? Um, I do have a Matt Smith as well. I've got a Fez. I've got a Matt Smith and a Fez. Mm -hmm. And I have I have a Master and a Bok and a Sea Devil and mm -hmm. uh, some Robots of Death. I have a, a Sutek with eyes that light up. It's, mm -hmm. it's just glorious. Did it come with the optional play hand of Sutek? You know, it's sadly, the Sutek set does not come with a play hand. Though, they released three... Pyramids of Mars sets. First set was two server, um, the gold-banded um, server mummies from, from Mars, and okay. the jackal-headed Sutek that you all remember from the final episode of that series. Right. They then also produced a Sutek with light-up eyes, which is an absolutely gorgeous action figure that, again, I... I light up his eyes uh, many times um, to amuse myself. <laughs> and then thirdly, they produced an amazing set, which was a Marcus Scarman figure. Like, Marcus Scarman, that's not exactly, you know, I can't imagine everyone knowing who Marcus Scarman is. Marcus mm -hmm. Scarman figure, a couple of mummies, some canoptic jars, which, of course, you'll remember were, were key to that show. And then also a cardboard mm -hmm. assemblable pyramid-shaped a siren war missile that you can you can make oh, and then you can pose your sutex and your um uh your mummies in amongst the war missile it's gorgeous do they have a rifle toting sarah jane smith in any of these sets and here is one of the great disappointments in the doctor who action figure collecting community we do not have a good selection of who companions we have a couple of leelas there's a very very nice uh, i think there's three iterations of joe grant to companion your third doctor and also again i think two iterations of the brigadier as third doctor companions mm -hmm. uh we also have an ace so we have a couple of aces who can uh, companion your mccoy doctor but we do not have sarah jane and sadly i as i understand and this is only kind of you know hanging around on message boards and stuff one of the reasons that we do not have Sarah Jane is that at the height of the action figure is when Liz Sladen was very, very sick and she was not available. Uh, she was she was really kind of uh, targeting her work on the Sarah Jane adventures and was not recording DVD commentaries, mm -hmm. was not posing for action figures, etc., etc., because she was so ill. So they never really, they didn't really take a scan of her. And to this day, we do not have a classic Sarah Jane figure. So that's a missed opportunity for character options. A missed opportunity for character options. Perfectly understandable. I can, you obviously one knows that, you know, Liz was so ill and didn't want to devote her time to approving mm -hmm. action figures. Well, she, that, that fact was hidden. Exactly. Exactly. I mean, and it, again, it, it, again, there's, there's a lot of fan um, desire out there for Sarah Jane. Um, a classic Sarah Jane. There is a, a it actually is the rarest of the character options, um, uh, new who figures, which is a Sarah Jane from, uh, from school reunion. 
Um, that is available. It's uh, but it is actually one of the rarer figures, and I actually don't, don't have I don't have that in my collection. But we do not have a we do not have a classic a, a classic Sarah Jane. Yeah, well, that's a missed opportunity. Yep, yep. There you go. There you go. Anyway, yeah. So yeah. So uh, we were talking about big finish, but no. I, mean, I think I think one of the one of the themes that's coming out of this particular podcast is just the richness of who life. Or who fandom things. I mean, you can really, any aspect that you have in your life, whether you like action figures, whether you like wargaming, whether you like listening to audios, whether you like watching TV, whether you like reading books, whether you like cosplaying. I mean, you know, the, the, the amount of costumes that are available for you to dress up as doctors or companions. Every aspect of your life can be rewarded through Doctor Who, I think. And it's a, a big departure or a big change from the 70s where it was hard to find any kind of toy that looked like the actors in, on screen or looked at what you're seeing on television at all. Virtually impossible. I mean, I had a, I had a Tom Baker, the Palatoy Tom Baker, in the likeness of Gareth Hunt from, um, from the New Avengers and the, uh, the coffee adverts. <laughs> um, not, not a very effective, not a very effective action figure, I think. I think I had that 76 maybe I got that in 76 uh, Palitoy I think also was it Pal- I think it was Palitoy they also released uh, a Cyberman with a nose I did have the it's not Palitoy actually it was it was another company anyway Palitoy released a, a an excellent talking Dalek I had a talking Dalek um, which you pressed a button and it and it said some some key Dalek phrases that was a that was a good one but no Doctor Who toys were, were few few and far between in mm-hmm. the 70s I think one of the main the main media for um, playing Doctor Who was actually the Weetabix stand up cardboard figures that you got in in packets of Weetabix breakfast cereal. Yep, and those are quite collectible too. But on one of the DVDs on the extra, they printed or they well scanned uh, into PDF form all the Weetabix cards. So if you were cheap and wanted to replicate them, you could always bring them into your color printer and stick them onto tag board and you'd have your own replica Weetabix cards exactly. to play around with. And here's, here's a plug. The artist for the, uh, for the Weetabix, uh, both Series 1, which was the Weetabix Theatre, and then Series 2, which was the Weetabix Doctor Who game boards, was a man called Gordon Archer, who was a very successful commercial artist in the, in the 1970s in Britain. Mm-hmm. And his son has actually just started releasing very well-done reproductions of those images uh, on his website, which I think is called Yellow Planet, mm. and you can get signed posters signed by Gordon of the both Series One and Series Two of the Weetabix figures from YellowPlanet.co.uk, uh, and mugs and coasters and various other kind of Gordon Archer-related Doctor Who memorabilia, of which of course I have several because that was uh, I think he's a great artist, and those are some of the some of the absolute classic images and produced in the seventies of Doctor Who stuff. So happy, happy to plug that on this podcast. Yeah, really cool stuff from Gordon Archer on Yellow Planet Co. UK. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. So hopefully, you know, going back to our original premise, what mm-hmm. what is about Metabilis that brings us to our name? And so Metabilis, I think, very succinctly put, is it's a link from the old to the new. It is. 
It's from an era that is from Ben's golden age. It kind of predates a little bit my involvement in Doctor Who, at least from the broadcast, but certainly it's recognizable as some of the best stories of the early 1970s. Absolutely, absolutely. And so it's a, it's a nice link between the old and new of Doctor Who, and it just ties in continuity of Who-ness between 21st century Who and 20th century Who. Absolutely, uh, which and, and again, it's, it's it's both specific. It has a root within who. It also the the podcast title also refers to two people rather than three people. Um, Metabolis two, and there are two of this on this podcast. Yeah, and I, I think it just makes the podcast sound like it's run by kind of you know a couple of gunslingers, um, like you know um, <laughs> from the outer reaches of Metabolis. From the, uh, yeah. Metabolis too. Exactly. We're like we're, we're gunfighters from No, actually you know who we are? We are two Robert Holmes characters. Like gritty <laughs> gritty kind of, you know, wheeling dealing out of space tradespeople of some kind. That's who we well, are. We're, we're we're the the Jago and Lightfoot of Metabolis. We, we're Jago and Lightfoot. <laughs> we are we are Jago, we are Lightfoot. <laughs> that is us. <laughs> Perfect. What we, what, we should, what we should do at some point, because I have quite a lot of... Hang on, wait, wait, I think it's right here. I have... Because um, I'm surrounded by all my stuff in my little apartment, um, mm-hmm. um, someone's got something that, that, that they want to say to you. <laughs> so, of course, we have our famous... We have our wonderful talking action figures. Um, mm-hmm. I do have... I wonder if that is a sample of Nick Briggs there. I don't know. It's a... Um, this, um, this particular talking Dalek is one of the... Uh, 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 excuse me. Um, uh, one of the pro- Sounded... one of the product enterprise Daleks from the mm. early two thousands. Um, oh, so that wouldn't be Nick Briggs. It all. may th- it may actually be Nick. I don't know. I'm looking on the box now, seeing whether they credit who produces the voice. It's a very convincing Dalek sound, as you'll readily attest by by listening to it. But let's try them again. Here he goes. Daleks do and do do indeed. No, that sounds like sort of sounds like Roy Skelton. Yeah, I think these might be samples from the show. I mean, these were um, BBC authorized, so I mm-hmm. think maybe they're recording their own dialogue. I think if they mm-hmm. probably just accept it t- took excerpts excerpts. Yeah, from the show. that that sounds like eighties uh, eighties Daleks right there. Yeah, I think you're right. I think you're right. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I, I have a, I have a, I have a Cyberman, but he's on the other side of the room at the moment, so maybe we won't, um, we won't enlist his his opinions on things. His main opinion, my my talking Cyberman, is that emotion is a weakness. Um, mm-hmm. You know, which yeah, I, that's yeah, that's it's a point of view. It's a point of view. Emotion well, is a weakness. You you can enjoy a nice nice dinner when you're a Cyberman. You can't. You know, a well well prepared meal is something that you are you are impo- It is impossible. For you to enjoy, you <laughs> bastard. <laughs> you evil that must be fought. <laughs> uh, Cyberman. So, no tip, right? <laughs> exactly. I did not enjoy this dinner. <laughs> Just give me some cyber sludge, whatever I eat. Cyber goo. <laughs> Okay. Cyber biscuits. Cyber biscuits. I think they probably do eat cyber biscuits, actually. Yeah. No, cyber, yeah, cyber, yeah like hardtack. The kind of biscuits yeah. that, like, you know, 
pirates and people eat. Right. Exactly. Yeah, like a block of kind of solid material that they then have to crunch kind up. Kind of what they'd serve on Master and Commander type thing. Yes, exactly, exactly. That's what Cybermen eat. I bet that's what Cybermen eat. I, I, I'll, bet, I'll, I'll fight anyone who says that Cybermen eat anything else other than that. Hard, hard biscuits. Hard biscuits. Hard tack. Hard, hard tack, yeah. Mm, Cybermen <laughs> love that kind of food. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> They rub their big fat tummies and go excellent whenever hard tack comes into comes it comes in comes into view. <laughs> their big fat Michael Kilgariff tummies. They go mm, lovely. <laughs> oh, hilarious! All right, okay, that's getting too frivolous. Well, this is a serious Doctor Who podcast. It's not. It's not a funny one. <laughs> <laughs> so. Well, I guess that would be the end. Way to wrap it up there. Uh, Way to wrap it up. With excellent a... cyber height hardtack. Excellent, uh, excellent hardtack, Doctor. <laughs> excellent. All right, well, let's uh, close it out here. You've been listening to the Metabilis 2, Episode 5, and have a good evening. Uh, good night, everyone. Have a wonderful evening.